I'm here with Jeremy Ian Scarborough uh, from the Hunter Valley and uh, from uh, Scarborough Wine and Co. And here with my uh, offsider uh, from uh, Wine and Wisdom, Big Man Can. The big Man is here. All What's right. happening, brother? Excellent, excellent. Listen, man, do you remember a few weeks ago when uh, I beat you with that uh, amazing <laughs> obsessive wine? That non-competitive wine competition. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that's right. And you were so jealous that the uh, immediately the following weekend you came up mm, to visit them. I did. Well, now we're lucky enough to have Jeremy here. He's now running the entire show. So we would like to talk to him and find out about what he does, right? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, look, I guess I don't run the... Firstly, I don't run the entire show. I, my, uh, my father and my sister and my mother would kill me if I accepted that. Uh, very much a family business. Uh, I guess I, I'm lucky enough to call myself a winemaker, so therefore people sort of gravitate to that because we're, we're the ones who do the exciting things, uh, you know, the, the creative outlet of making wine in comparison to, you know, sales and, and the like. So, but uh, no, we, for a family business, we very much all need to uh, do everything, uh, our, you know, each other and help each other. Yep. So, yeah. How's that work, Alfie? Does it all get along? Uh, look, I mean, like any business, there's days where you could, you know, throttle each other. But the, the important thing is at the end of the day, you know, you can have a glass of wine with each <laughs> other and, uh, and talk through the, those differences. And I think probably at times it, it can get a little more heated than it would in a, a normal office, but that's because we know each other so well. And it, the important thing is that, if, you know, it, one, admitting if you, were, if you weren't correct or wrong or, or what, and, uh, you know, sort of saying, okay, well, let's, let's build from here because we do, we, you know, not that we see each other 24 hours a day, but we are a lot more familiar and spend a lot more time with each other than you do if you're doing a, a nine-to-five job. Yeah, so. I understand. Do you think that's a help or a hindrance, the ability to be more probably open and honest? Because we, yeah. we come from a work environment where sometimes we probably can't be as uh, forthright as we would like to on occasions for threat of yeah. <laughs> well, it, it has legal its, action. <laughs> yeah, it, ha- it has its uh, good and bad points, I guess. But uh, I, I think the most important thing is to be able to sort of say oops, sorry, I stepped over a line there, or instead of digging your heels in, go, actually, uh, really good point, let's uh, have a look at that. I, I think that's instead of uh, getting bombastic about something or, or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but still, there's only one boss. It'll be Ian, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. In, in the end, he has the, fi- <laughs> he has the final say. And look, the, bu- the business wouldn't be what it is without him. So, yes. I mean, he, he has, you know, he's now 70 years of age. He has over... Uh, 50 years uh, wine knowledge experience so I mean you have to defer to that. Uh, Can you just take us through maybe the beginnings maybe? So my father's been a winemaker since the late 60s. He uh, went to Roseworthy Ag College in South Australia Uh, so both mum and dad are South Australians. Mum and dad actually met when dad was doing a I think it was a, a, a beer run from the college into Gawler, which is the right. closest uh, town, and uh, my mum merrily had broken down at the side of the road. Him and three other friends pulled up beside there. Went, oh, here's a lovely young lady here. You know, damsel in distress. Uh, she needs <laughs> she needs a hand. Uh, the car needed a push start, so Dad hopped in the front seat with my mum, while the three other guys pushed <laughs> the car for him. And it, I guess it grew from there. Uh, yeah, my father spent uh, a couple. He then eventually gra- uh, graduated. He spent two vintages in the Barossa Valley yep. uh, at uh, what was then known um, Saltram Estate. 
but it was actually the head winemaker there uh, was Peter Lehman. So before Peter Lehman went off and did his own thing. Uh, and then I, uh, my father's older sister actually had moved to Brisbane and they were doing, uh, my mother and dad were doing uh, a road trip up to Brisbane and they went through the Hunter Valley on the way and uh, they drove up uh, Oakley Creek Road, which, you know, still is, but it was, uh, you know, a tree-lined road. It was the time of year when everything was green and beautiful. Mm. And I think Dad just basically went, well, you know, I love the look of this place. I'd really like to move to the Hunter. And um, as far as I know, they moved within to the Hunter within uh, 12 months. Yep. And uh, I was born just prior to that. And... My father's, you know, since then, you know, he moved up here to make wine with uh, Tullock Wines and then spent about eight years with them and then went off to do his own thing with uh, uh, contract winemaking and, and the like. And then in 1984, I uh, started Scarborough Wine Co. with my, my, my mother. And I guess, you know, as I say, the rest is sort of history. Okay, so, 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 so what? They, they decide just like this, let's buy a winery. Uh, look, I think, no, because Dad had been making wine uh, at that stage in the Hunter for, you know, uh, 10, 12, 13 years, uh, he, I think he felt he knew the area well enough at that point that it was time to do his own thing. Um, and also, it was just at the beginning where uh, the wine industry in the early 80s was just starting to take off, off again. Yeah. Uh, so there was a, a shift in consumers' preferences in wines that we were going from fortified wines, so, you know, ports and sherries, uh, to table wines. And uh, he saw the need at that stage for uh, Chardonnay. Uh, you know, he's a great lover of uh, Burgundy, so white Burgundy and red Burgundy, so Chardonnay and uh, Pinot Noir. Uh, and uh, saw, you know, there was a beautiful bit of uh, soil up on uh, where our Gillards Road property is and, uh, you know, decided to plant Chardonnay there. And... Uh, and make a style which he saw uh, would suit the Australian public, basically. Yes, but so. when he bought the winery, w w wasn't it just red grapes being on? It was. So, yes. yeah, when, when they bought the uh, property uh, in partnership with another family, the McPhersons, who are uh, another... They used to have a winery here in the Hunter, but they actually have a winery in, the, in Victoria now. Right. Uh, and uh, the McPhersons decided to leave the valley, so we bought them out of their share, and at that stage it had Shiraz on it. Yeah. Uh, and that was, um, there was a glut of Shiraz in Australia, which is hard to believe that there was too much Shiraz. <laughs> uh, but uh, you couldn't uh, sell Shiraz for love or money at that point. Uh, you know, there were people trying to make uh, Shiraz muffins and, you know, things like that. And it, 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 yeah, you just could not get rid of it. So uh, they decided to pull the, the vineyard out and let it go to fallow uh, for a few years and then um, uh, eventually planted Chardonnay there. Okay, so in, in between, uh, how, how do they survive? I mean, you, you, you just bought a winery, you, then suddenly you... you uh, I mean, yeah. I, I'm just saying it, yeah, maybe yeah. you decide... So my, my dad, at, in the, those interim years, was making wine for Brian, Brian McGuigan, so, and actually in this building here we are in now, right? Uh, so our Hermitage Road property. Uh, so my father was working for Brian on a contract basis, but it was essentially full-time, and he built this winery, so uh, the... Our Hermitage Road winery was to be McGuigan Wines' premium uh, winery in the Hunter Valley. So they had two other sites. So they had the Hunter Estate and Wyndham Estate. So this was meant to be the small lot special uh, winery for them. Unfortunately, what happened was at that same time, Orlando Wyndham, because uh, uh, 
uh, McGuigan Wines was a floated company. Right. Orlando Wyndham uh, did a hostile takeover and they actually um, bought Wyndham Estate and then this winery was essentially mothballed. Right. So, and so that's what uh, Dad did. And uh, Mum at that stage is also working uh, for Pepper's Guest House. So, uh, oh, yes. So the Peppers, as an overall, you know, became quite a large uh, company in Australia with uh, lots of. Uh, they had a hotels. convent, and then they had the yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Um, so she she was their original uh, general manager here in the Hunter Valley. So she was working for Dave and Susie O'Connor, and uh, so she worked for them for a few years as well uh, prior prior okay. to Scarborough Wine starting to kick off. And then the wine started. Yes. What happened then? Um, Excuse me. That's all um, right. Party time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I guess the first the first vintage uh, was uh, very small in, in comparison to what we are now, uh, because we only had a small amount of grapes, a small small bit of vineyard. Yeah. So we only made two hundred cases in the first year of uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, and that that was um, in the uh, what was the garage it, to our house on um, on Gillard's Road. Uh, so that's now the area where you walk in. And you've got the uh, sand stock uh, bricks on the floor, yep. right? Uh, in that little square area. So that's the original garage, and that was the winery for the first three years, I think. Yeah. How old were you then? Three, four? <laughs> I would have. I was away at boarding school at that point, so I was uh, 13, 14. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, yep, I, I look much younger than three I or am. four. In, so no, no, so it was in nineteen twenty-one. So 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 the 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 first uh, grapes then came out then in what? 1988 or something? 87 was the first Oh, I see. Edition. Okay. Yep. yep. So, and I guess, and since then, in the last 30-something years, uh, it's been incremental growth each year. So, uh, mum and dad have never gone, we want to be this many thousand cases or whatever. It's just been slow increases uh, year on year. Uh, so, you know, we outgrew the, the winery or the garage fairly quickly. Yep. And then uh, we uh, made wine in where uh, McGuigan Wines are now, which is the old Hunkford Hill Winery, which is on the corner of uh, Broken, Broken yep. Uh, yep. McDonald's Road. Mm -hmm. So we made wine in there for a, a few years. Um, and then we moved to our current location in 2007. Yep. So 12 years ago. It's still growing. Yeah, exactly. So and so what the beauty of that coming back to here for winemaking was it. Dad obviously uh, designed and built this winery. It was essentially mothballed, so it was just used, been used for uh, bulk storage. Uh, so he, he got to come back to the winery, which he built wow. you know, back in uh, uh, 89, 90. Right. And, uh, yeah, do his you know, sort of thing here. So it, it's, it's been really good. And it's a great facility and on, you know, on Hermitage Road, which is growing nicely. It's a great spot. You said that they don't have set targets or have any ambitions to reach a certain amount of cases. How yep. do you go about growing? Is it literally word of mouth? Or? Yeah, I mean, I guess for us, um, we, uh, yeah, it is word of mouth. I mean, the, the early days for mum and dad was that it was cellar door focused, yep. um, so direct to the customer. But then what would what would happen was, um, you know, someone would feel like they discovered our Chardonnay, they'd go back to their local restaurant in Sydney and go, uh, you know, you really need to get the Scarborough Chardonnay and it's fabulous. So we started to get in inquiries from the uh, restaurants in, in Sydney. We started to get wholesale. So with, uh, with the restaurants starting to order our, our wines, um, there wasn't a lot of freight happening between the Hunter Valley and Sydney. So at that stage, we had a, uh, 
a Land Cruiser uh, troop carrier and was uh, a, a red, a bright red colour and uh, was nicknamed uh, Big Red. So what used to happen was... I had a girlfriend with, like that once, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this, this one uh, went a long way. Um, <laughs> and with, uh, with Big Red, we, we would take orders, for, say, from Friday to uh, Tuesday for wholesale orders. Dad would then load up the Land Cruiser, uh, and in the back of that Land Cruiser, he could fit up to a pallet of wine, 64 cases. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, the nose would be up in the air, uh, so yeah, you'd, you'd be looking over the steering wheel to see if you could see the road and when you needed to turn. But then he would then go and uh, do the deliveries to restaurants in, in Sydney himself. Yep. So the winemaker was turning up, in, you know, and then he would, uh, you know, say, turn up to Catalina at Rose Bay and uh, deliver the wine they'd ordered because they'd been ordering, uh, buying our wine since uh, just about day one. Uh, he would then have a lovely meal there for lunch. Uh, you know, drink driving maybe was a little bit lax uh, at that point. So, you know, he'd have a nice yep. couple of gar- glasses of burgundy or something with lunch. Yeah. Uh, and then um, then continue on and do the deliveries uh, throughout Sydney. At that stage, I, there was still a Peppers uh, down at uh, Double Bay, I think it was. Um, stay there overnight, do the rest of the deliveries and be back home uh, for weekend service in the, yep. in the cellar door. That's how we, you know, so direct to customers, then uh, referral to restaurants, and then what sort of carried on from that would, would be then uh, if a restaurant was uh, serving our uh, wine by the glass or, 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 or whatever, yeah. there would be people who can't make it to the hunter to buy wine, so then they were talking to their local bottle shops, and then we started to get phone calls from those bottle shops about stocking our wine. So, and that, so it was... Like that organic, it's a very sort of organic growth, growth isn't and, it? Yeah. And it yeah. works really well because uh, you know people are coming to us; they're genuinely interested. It's not us knocking on the door, going, "Hey, we've got ten cases of wine; we'd like you to sell." Type yeah. of thing. So, the waiters and the sommeliers, because really in those early days there weren't, weren't a lot of sommeliers yep. around. Uh, you know, they were all invested in the wine because you know Ian Scarborough turned up, and you know he's a lovely guy. He, um, you know. Ate well, he drank well, he tipped. You know, he always has pens, and we had you know at that stage with wines under cork, we were we were giving away uh, bottle openers and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So it worked. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a really good way to kickstart the business. So. Now, because we only want to interview people who seem to be ordinary but achieving the extraordinary, can I just ask you? Maybe your father's told you, did he have a huge challenge in the beginning, in the early days, where he thought maybe. I better chuck it in. No, I'd, <laughs> I don't think he, he's never one to give up. Um, okay. The, I guess the, the challenge, in, the biggest uh, challenge, I guess, uh, in the Hunter is that we are uh, normally uh, uh, summer rainfall. So you can, we can be getting a lot of rain around harvest time and uh, yeah, grapes are, are really quite perishable you know they're, they're they're much more affected by rain than say grains are and obviously you know cattle and the like yeah it rains they get a wash and yep. you know they continue to graze and so on i mean we're, we're a bit like uh, i guess the the easy one to sort of compare us to a, a cherries so if we get rain at the wrong time uh, it can affect uh, the quality of the uh, potential juice and then and then the wine. So, and if, if you are getting a lot of uh, that summer rainfall close to harvest, you're having to make a lot of quick decisions because there, there are with the grapes when you go to when you want to pick them, there are certain ideal measures that we're looking for, and uh, you know you have that 
this is you know, using my hands. Yeah, you have a point where you want to be, uh, but then when you know there's going to be a week of thunderstorms uh, and the like, then you go, okay, well, we we probably need to think about coming a couple of steps back from that so that we have fruit that uh, is clean but maybe not quite ripe. So it's the and that's where his experience of 50-plus years in the industry really comes in handy for us because he's seen all that before multiple times over. Yeah, so your, so. your biggest challenge really is the weather. Sensitive Probably, yeah, can, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I mean, and then, then you have the other extremes like this year and last year in that, uh, you know, it's super dry. So, and that affects flavours differently. It affects uh, the crop level you're getting, internal but also external pricing of fruit. Uh, and, and, and the like. So, you know, the, the weather is, you never get the perfect season. You'll get seasons which are very close to exactly what you like like it to be. But uh, there's always something challenging each year that uh, makes you, you know, you have to sit back and go, okay, how do we handle this? It w- is 14 still the best season or was the best no. season? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess the interesting thing with 2014, it was almost the perfect uh, vintage in that we didn't have a lot of uh, summer rainfall most of the rain was winter and spring which is quite unusual and uh, it was dry from November onwards I think uh, 2013 through to harvest uh, depending on what variety you're talking uh, you know, in January February 2014 but having said that because of the ongoing drought we have actually had uh, repeat vintages since 2014 so 17 and 18, uh, certainly looking uh, the equal of 2014. Oh, wow. Um, I said that to you last week and you said they're just saying that. So. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to sell it's, the It's called marketing. Yeah, that's <laughs> what he said. Uh, marketing. You know, uh, you know, Murray Terrell uh, you know, is famous for saying when people ask which is the, uh, you know, what's the best vintage? And, yep. would, you know, there would be a, a bit of a pause. He'd look at the bottles which he's selling that, that year and he'd go... <laughs> Yes, this vintage. <laughs> so yeah, the most re- recent vintage is always the best vintage. But yeah, but honestly, 14, 17 and 18 are, are equally as good as each other. And only this, I guess the test of time will tell um, which one was is the better. But <coughs> even if uh, 17, say, edges out 14, 14, you know, uh, was an excellent vintage. Yep. What vintage are we trying now? What's so this? in, what in front of us we've got our 2016 Yellow Label Chardonnay. So, um, you know, this is the wine we've been making since we first started, or the style we've been making since we first started back in 1987. So the full rich style of uh, Hunter Shardy. Yeah, the wine has evolved in the last 30 years from what it was. So if you if you're able to sort of snapshot this wine and put the 1987 next next to this um, the wines would look different but uh, on the scale of uh, full-bodied Australian Chardonnays this one's at the top end of the the full-bodied style so okay while we're here can you just can you just teach us how to really taste wine okay so I guess there's three three elements in wine you, yep. you've got what you see what you smell and what you taste what you see is obviously very important so uh, I guess uh, modern winemaking, uh, we're looking for clear wine. Um, you know, so no floaties, you know, it's not looking cloudy uh, and the like. But, I mean, there's certainly in more recent years 
with the uh, advent of uh, natural wines is that you know the we do actually we do tend to forgive wines that are a little bit cloudy yep. um, and it, it's I guess from a color point of view or a cloudiness it, it actually is more a aesthetic uh, thing it doesn't ne- necessarily mean there's a problem with the wine but uh, I guess if I'm looking at a wine uh, double blind that I know nothing about it it will certainly mark it down from what I'm I'm looking for until I've tried, you know, then smelt and then taste. Right. So then generally what you'll do is give the glass a nice swirl. So And the, the thing about swirling the glass is what you're doing is um, increase, increasing the uh, surface area of the wine. And what that's doing is helping lift the aroma of the wine into the glass. Mm-hmm. Generally tulip-shaped wine glasses are good because that'll hold the the aroma as well and really you're just giving it a nice sniff drawing that down the back of your palate and then you know in, into the lungs and what i mean say with a what you're looking for is pleasant characters so you know you you, you want the wine to smell crisp fresh whatever you're sort of looking for in in that wine i mean there can be detracting characters so if a wine is uh, you know showing uh, a reductiveness um which is uh, generally a like almost like a rotten egg gas right. smell. Right. Uh, that obviously is not particularly pleasant, and there's a reason why we don't like that smell. So, but that can be in very small amounts. The wine can look a little bit what we call in winemaking terms reductive. Also, you you don't want to be seeing uh, like nail polish remover, uh, so volatile yep. acid, because uh, that that can be an indication of uh, spoilage as well. So, but if you were looking at uh, fortified wines, a little bit of VA is actually, or volatile uh, characters, is actually a good thing. So okay. it's horses for courses. So then once you smelt the wine, uh, obviously what you really want to do is uh, taste it. Drink it. Cheers, boys. Yeah, cheers, mate. And, I, you know, what you, again, you're looking for a wine that's pleasant. You don't want to have um, offensive flavours because you, know, you would like to enjoy what you're drinking. And so for me with Chardonnay, you know, uh, generally, you know, and there obviously are unoak styles, but, you know, a little bit of oak, uh, you know, is it showing um, nectarine, peach uh, characters, which is sort of generally the overall character which you're looking for uh, in Chardonnay. And depending whether it's a leaner style or a fuller style is whether or not you're going from sort of green, white peach through to the full yellow peach almost... Um, tropical fruit flavours of pineapples, um, you know, say ripe banana or something like that. And that that's really a flavour preference of what you're looking for. Uh, with, um, Are you serious? Like you can taste all those fruits? You can, yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> is it through the years of uh, the experience or oh. is it uh, just a bit of bullshit? Because I've put in heaps of practice, man. And I, <laughs> a, bit, a bit of both, a bit of both. So, right, uh, look, I, I guess, you know, people like to be able to see what those characters are and I mean certainly in the past with uh, the cellar door when you look at some of our tasting notes we're talking about all those different fruit flavors and they you know people quite seriously ask so why do you use peach in your wines and they said no that's you know that that is it's a descriptor so that that's a particular character in in the wine and then for the for this wine then the oak uh starts to come through so the fruit's nice and up forward you know and it's uh rich and round and then the oak uh, comes through and that's almost a, a nutty cashew uh, character a little bit of um, 
sort of uh, tannin grip as well because a lot of the oak flavour you have is actually tannin from the barrels. So, you know, I guess a bit like uh, tea, you know, that tea has that almost grippiness, mm. if, especially if you have a strong tea without sugar or milk. So you get a bit of that grippiness right at the back of the palate. And then how long the wine, once you swallow the wine, how long that flavour lingers on your palate. Because for us, what we're looking for is longevity of flavour as well because, uh, you know, it, that's what hopefully makes you want to go back for the next sip and right. pour the next glass and open the next bottle. Yes, I understand. Um, so with taste, a lot of that taste is actually still your smelling. If you hold your nose and drink the wine, you don't actually taste an awful lot. Oh, so, really? Um, <laughs> I better taste go. <laughs> yeah. So a, a lot of that is what they call retronasal. So the, the aromas are coming off your palate into into your nose and that's where the flavor um, oh wow okay comes from i i noticed you didn't do those things that some of these guys like the specialists they do their mouthwash yeah i look i mean certainly what you can do i was just conscious that there was a a a microphone in front of me is that pulling a bit of air through it as well so doing like that bubbling of the wine that helps as well but also what i can do is there are also certain characters which you don't want in the wine uh, that become obvious when you oxygenate the wine as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's. Um, but also, what it does is again, it's like swirling the wine. Um, it gives you the, an increased amount of the aromatics out of the wine. So, I'm sure after this, like some people might want to become sommelier, you know, or, or, or go for for master some. Yeah. Do you learn this? Do you practice? I mean, do you yeah. have to have someone who says to you, "No, mate, there's no apricot in this." Yeah. So, the, well. Um, the beauty of wine is that it's uh, everyone's own opinion because it's it's obviously very subjective. So it's how you see the wines. But that, um, there are different levels of uh, uh, winemaking knowledge you can do. So I, I was fortunate enough to go through Rosewear the Ag College like my father, um, which is now uh, Adelaide University. Um, and so I did a uh, three-year course and I'd have taken a few extra semesters to finish it off because I was having too yeah, little time. A three-year course in six <laughs> years, well yeah, done. Not quite that bad, but yeah. Um, but, uh, and, uh, yeah, so we did the obligatory science and agricultural one uh, subjects and so on, but we did do also uh, sensory evaluation. And one of those ones, uh, the sensory evaluation, we literally sat in a science lab. The first wines we got were actually water, which had water and then water with salt, water with sugar and water with, um, uh, I'm not going to remember, but what made the wine bitter uh, as well. So we knew, and the idea was that you saw where saltiness hits your palate, where sweetness hits your palate oh, and no where way. those bitter flavours. No and then, So then we got uh, bag and box wines, so, you know, very cheap wine with those additives again. So again, you could see, so then you got slightly more complex flavours than water with those in there. So again, you, you got to know where those uh, flavours hit your palate and then, uh, then you know, steps on from that. And then we started to, you know, one week would be we would purely just look at Australian Rieslings. Uh, next week would be, uh, you know, Chardonnay or Shiraz wow. and so on. So, so that you, you could pull it apart <coughs> and looking at, um, not that uh, price is a guarantee of quality, but we would look at, different price uh, brackets as well. Uh, and and we'd, we would do, you know, it would be a semester's worth of that. So that that's uh, sort of what we did as as winemakers. But um, 
anyone can go along and do uh, sensory uh, courses, uh, wine tasting courses at the TAFEs nowadays. And then also there is uh, industry-based wine tasting classes or sensory evaluation. Uh, they're the WESET, so W-S-E-T. Uh, I should know what that's short for. Uh, that's all right. Wine we'll Google it, mate. Wine oh, sensory <laughs> something or other. Uh, and they're, they're, so therefore um, the staff who we use in the cellar door so that they have some wine knowledge. So that they get to do the tasting, but they also get uh, general winemaking oh, wow. knowledge as well. Sweet. And they're, and they're, it, that's it's a certificate. And if you've done that, then if you decide to go on to something a little more serious with time, that can give you credit. So, yep. so where so, does, hypothetically, a 37-year-old bloke who might not be very good at real estate who's looking to get into something different, <laughs> thinks he might be able to squash some grapes, yep. how does he become a winemaker, hypothetically? Well, I mean, you don't need to be uh, qualified to be a winemaker. I think many people have proved that in, in Australia. So it, it depends whether you, you want to uh, uh, trot off and do a, a degree or a diploma or uh, a master's or whether you just want to, uh, I guess, learn on the job. Because they exist. There's, there's diplomas in winemaking. Yeah, yeah. so I, I have a degree... Applied so, science so I, in viticulture. Yeah, yeah. So that's... and. Uh, and like my father has it in enology, which is uh, winemaking. So my my winemaking experience. So technically, I haven't done a winemaking course. I've done a grape growing course. Yeah. So I've learnt winemaking on the job. But in the three year course I did, there were a lot of common sub subjects between the winemakers and yeah. the uh, the grape growers, yeah, right. the viticulturists. So I guess there's two ways you can do it. You can do it sort of a paper driven way. So you go go off to university or to TAFE and uh, do it that way or you get a job in a uh, in a winery and there's many people who have done uh, one or the other um, uh, i'm trying to think of examples likely of guys who i can't think of any good ones of local well, I'm, the, the word is good ones <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> are you hiring good, good examples <laughs> um, well i'm not confident i can say whether they did uh, roseworthy ag or whether they've done it um, you know, on the job uh, as such. But uh, because uh, winemaking is very hands-on, you know, there's definitely uh, a level of science to it that we know. We need to know what the pH of the wine is, what the titrat titratable acidity is, what the alcohol is and, and how to test those. Uh, so, you know, that's the science behind it. But then um, the on-the-job of uh, how you get to that point of how early you pick the fruit or late... Um, whether you're, you're growing vines on a hillside or on a flat or the, the vines are facing east-west or north-south, um, whether they're irrigated or not irrigated, all the things in behind that, uh, a lot of that just comes from experience. Yeah. So experience, uh, so yeah, what there are some very good experience-only winemakers in Australia as well. A lot like what we do. There's a bit of paper that we have to do to be able to sell a house, but you don't really learn it. Yeah, exactly, it. exactly. And experience yeah. is paramount. Yeah. Um, so, Jeremy, I just want to ask you, were you a son who decided, hey, hey dad started great business, why not take it over? Or was it some passion? Or so, how, how does it go from father to son in all these winemaking yeah, companies? I guess for me, I, for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a winemaker. So earliest childhood memory was uh, winemaking. And the reason for that is I, I remember um, when Dad was making wine at uh, Tullock's, just the, the rush and the excitement of vintage because you do have a very small window 
<coughs> the grapes are growing for you know six or eight months to get to a point where they're ready to be picked, and you're picking them at a you know that you're trying to capture what's in the vineyard with alcohol derived from that. So you have a very small window to get that right, and so the ex- excitement that's happening in that you know few days time yep. to capture that and you know sunlight in a glass or you know whatever you'd like to call it and it's a frantic time and so i remember standing up on the the crusher at tullox uh so the fruit coming in you know i was in my my jimmy jams you know i was you know three or four years of age um dad had let us my uh, mum me and my sister who i think you know would have only been at best one year old and uh standing up on the crusher which uh the Crusher pit area, which was actually a raised one, watching the grape bin, which was around a one and a half ton bin, being lifted up with this crane. So as you know, a young kid, a young yep. boy, all this machinery and so on was just amazing. Uh, crane lifting, uh, overhead crane lifting this up, tipping it into a receival bin, which was then pushing it through this machine that the, you had all the the whole bunches and a bit of stick and a bit of leaf, and it was separating that uh, so it was just grapes. And then that was going into a pump and then it was pumping it up this uh, pipe that was right in front of us and there was a sight glass, which probably in those days was actually glass, not uh, perspex. I could see grapes down there being tipped, going through and then going up up through this sight glass. I'm going, wow. (laughs) And then there was a whole heap of swearing in the winery and then all of a sudden the sight glass burst because someone had accidentally closed the valve and this pump was trying to pump and we were just covered in uh, grape, you know, grape um, must, as we call it at that stage. So no doubt, no harm done, but, you know, covered in this sticky, soupy mess and I thought that was fantastic. You know, got got taken back home, you know, shower and so on, then off to bed. Um, So it's all that, you know, the chaos and, but, you know, it's... um, it's programmed and you know what to do. And it's, it's that whole pulling that all together and troubleshooting on the run yep. uh, and so on. And that that's really quite... A, Got you excited. Yeah, the, even the way you're talking about it yeah, now, I can see. It, hey? one, yeah. one of the things I noticed, you know, your, your memory is very clear. Yeah. And earlier you were talking about a year and I think it was 2000, the end of 2000, uh, no, no, what is it, uh, 83? No, no, 2013 to 14. Yeah. Yeah. And you could actually see yourself there. Yeah. You could actually see the weather there. So do you, I mean, how can you drink that much yeah. and have a memory like that? That's the thing too. <laughs> I was going to say, because I'm having yeah. trouble remembering Saturday night. Mate. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's funny. I guess there, there's certain things because there are points in a, in a vintage and, and so on where you go, bang, I'll remember that. Uh, but yeah, look, I'm the same. I mean, what did I have for dinner last night? <laughs> I'm not really sure, um, you know. But you know, I, you know the meal but the I weather had, conditions in yeah, 2014 yeah, not a problem in the, the world. The meal I had on uh, Friday night down in Melbourne, um, and the two bottles of wine I have, I remember though then quite well because of the two bottles of wine because yeah. I had a, two really nice bottles of wine. So it, it's yeah, it's sort of conditional, um, you know, And then. You know, if one of the staff members turn up to me and, and go, oh, you know, just notice this, this and this, I'm going, please send me an email because I'll, I won't remember. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can see it. Your memory is just crazy. It's good, isn't it? Can I just go back to the flavours for one second? Because sure. the, the guys who listened to our last podcast, I said buttery Chardonnay about 487 <laughs> times. Yep. And they go, what do you mean? I go, oh, it tastes like butter. Yeah. That's about as educated as I am. Where does the butter come from? Yeah. 
So I, I get, you know, that sort of goes back to the no, we don't put butter in the wine. Uh. <laughs> um, I guess there's a couple of there's a couple of things. So um, in wine, we have natural acids uh, as we do sugar and other flavour compounds. So um, what you have malic acid and tartaric are the two main acids yep. that are, are in the wine. So they're organically derived. So the you know the grape vines put those into the grapes through photosynthesis, etc. You know bits of whatever comes out of the soil and whatnot. But as the fruit ripens, though, if you eat, though, if you went out there now and there's little green grape berries on there, they would be super super tart. You know, really really high in acid. As the fruit ripens, the acid starts to drop off, and then the sugar uh, goes goes up. Basically, I'm using my hands again. And we've, uh, so as the acid drops off, um, we, grapes are naturally quite high in uh, malic acid, yes. which is a, f- a fairly strong acid. <coughs> so one of the things we look at with Chardonnay, not always, and not all producers do it, but uh, you can have a secondary fermentation, um, which is a, a little uh, bacteria, which will, a good bacteria, which will convert uh, malic acid to lactic acid. Mm-hmm. So, and lactic acid is a weaker acid than malic, so it, it smooths out the uh, palate and it's not as tart. But also lactic acid uh, is a major component of the acids in milk. So it has like a milky character. So you will get a milky character from that. But also uh, bar- barrel fermentation with the yeast that are doing the conversion of uh, sugar to you know uh, three things, heat, alcohol and CO2. In the, in the barrels, because it's not, I guess, a perfect environment, the yeast is a little bit under stress and it, it does also produce compounds that do have a milky sort of character to them as well. Butter. Yeah, butter. <laughs> so, and I guess with, with the oak and um, you know, all those other flavours there, then that sort of gives it that sort of almost burnt butter character. Yeah, amazing. Listen, who's into the designing? So my sister is very much uh, at the forefront of that and, and my mother. <coughs> and I guess if you look at our two different cellar doors... Uh, Gillard's Road, our, our original cellar door, uh, is very much that uh, Australian sort of federation style, uh, whereas the Scarborough on Hermitage is much more modern, you know, with a, a black painted ceiling, uh, white floors and so on. So that, And that's uh, Sally's influence, although, you know, Merrily was very much involved. You know, she, she very, you know, certainly likes this uh, cellar door as well, but uh, that's that sort of, I guess, more modern influence of my sister. Right, okay. Because there's a lot of glass, and and then what what happened to the uh, obsessive? Where did that come from? And okay, so uh, I guess you know when we first started back in 1987, we had uh, two wines: our uh, Chardonnay and our Pinot Noir. And then uh, through the 80s, and then into the 90s, uh, mid 90s, we introduced what we call our Blue Label Chardonnay. And then uh, in the early noughties, uh, we uh, in- introduced a Shiraz and a Semillon. And we, I guess at that point then we were ready to uh, uh, look at a premium level above our, our standard wines. Obviously, we felt uh, a third Chardonnay wasn't going to be a problem for Scarborough wines and we, we wanted to have something which we thought was just a step above the uh, yellow label Chardonnay. So that's how it came about. But So originally the obsessive was known as our white label uh, Chardonnays. Yep. And that was from 2006... And then up to 2012, it was all known as our white label. But uh, then again, uh, with uh, Sally's influence, she basically was saying, you know, we're making a very good quality uh, wine here, uh, but I 
feel that the packaging is not quite up to the standard of what that wine is. So we, uh, that's where uh, Sally came up with the help of a company in uh, Sydney with the, the Obsessive uh, range. And the Obsessive is obviously, it's a, it's a nod to my father. And uh, so really, you know, it's about his how particular he is, he is about how everything needs to be done in a certain way and how the grounds and the vineyard needs to be looking all the time. And that, that's his obsession, I guess. Right. I, I was here for tasting once and uh, one of the ladies said, uh, we're always scared when he comes up. There's always something to do, something to change. Cause <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I get, yeah, he, he's, you know, he's grown up from a, uh, where it was just mum and dad. That's right. That's now. his baby. Yeah. We've got, you know, when you talk about full-time equivalents and all that sort of stuff, I mean, we, we have a, a good amount of staff now and, but we, we very much still would like the company uh, to be run and, what we're doing as, as if it was still uh, mum and dad in a merrily the one serving the wine so yeah yeah, so, yeah, yeah. but from the humble beginnings of 200 cases I, I can see these barrels that were standing still in the yeah. back like, there's a yeah. little bit more than 200 now <laughs> they? yeah so I mean we're, we're over 30,000 cases now a year yeah. um, and a year and the I guess the yellow label is the lion's share of that so that that's very much where most of that uh, wine goes to but when you think about, you know, was it close to four million people in Sydney nowadays? Yeah. There's not not many bottles of wine that need to be drunk by a few people down there that, you know, you, you sort of soak that up straight away. So the, the yellow labels... Um, now, just with the two of us, but you've got a few cases going there. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even better. <laughs> How does, yeah. So just on that, because you said there's four million people in Sydney and a lot of people drinking wine. So for the uninitiated, point out myself... The, the regular bottle someone grabs off the shelf at Liquorland or whatever for 10 bucks a bottle that has some fancy name but doesn't really... Yep. How does that come about and where? what's the difference between that and a cellar door wine that people get? What are, what are people missing out on that they don't realise? I, I guess it's always a, a tough nice. one. Well, it, yeah, <laughs> it's that's, a tough that's, one. That's right. a tough guess, one, man. You're looking, I guess you're looking at a commodity wine versus something that's been made uh, with love and care because they are... For what we produce, which you know, thirty thousand cases sounds like a lot of wine, and it and it is. Um, we can fit all that wine in one tank in Griffith or the Riverina. So they they have one and a half and one and a quarter million litre tanks down there. Jesus. So those ten dollar bottle of wines and so on are coming out of that that sort of size. They're making a profit with that ten bucks. There's still somehow turning a yeah, profit. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's high volume. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know low low cost fruit so so that i guess it's uh wines made by recipe versus wines that are, are made um in reaction to what the season has done whether or not it needs more yes. oak less oak and all the things we can do as yeah. uh, as winemakers and the quality of the fruit coming out of the vineyard and that that's not to say that uh the fruit out of the riverland or griffith and so on are low, low quality fruit they had they'd certainly have the ability to produce some very very good fruit and some of australia's well one of australia's best wine uh you know the de Bortley's noble one comes mm. out of out of griffith so i mean that that's a indicator what that can be done but when you compare vineyards that are doing 20 to 30 ton to the hectare of grapes versus what we're doing up here which is say 
one tonne to ten tonne, de- depending on the variety, wow. um, there, there will always be uh, a dilution of uh, flavour when you're getting to those uh, levels. So, But that that's very much a financial thing. So yeah. when you're getting down to that $10 a bottle or, and whatever, whatever your margin is, you need to be your cost of production need to be much lower. I mean, you can you can find this uh, this bottle that we tasted yes. in in every bottle shop. Okay, you know that it's only the white label. You're not selling it it's anywhere, but on, only mate. in the yep. at the cellar, right? Though the obsessive is in a few uh, restaurants, but yeah, yep. they're essentially just yeah. I've seen it in so. restaurants, yeah. yeah, and and members members yes. do get them there too, yeah. 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 Let me ask you, both of these bottles here, this exclusive Chardonnay now that you have, which is, what is it, 2016 as well, is it? Uh, this is the, should be the 70, yeah, the 17 of the Obsessive. Okay, so what's the difference between the The difference. Two? With the uh, the yellow label, uh, released as a three-year-old wine versus a 18-month-old wine. The Obsessive is a single vineyard wine, so it is from a specific uh, block, and because of that, control of style uh, whereas with the the uh, yellow it is from uh, vineyards in throughout the hunter so we are 100 percent hunter uh, but it is uh, hunter valley uh, so we have a vineyard up in between denman and musselbrook and uh, so ogilvy's view it's a beautiful bit of soil close close to the river not highly fertile but fertile red clay which is nice and deep and it's for me, as viticulturist, you look at it, and when because <clears throat> we do soil pits sometimes to see where the the grapevine roots and so on are going, and you almost want to eat it. It looks that good. <laughs> It'd be a bit crunchy, but you, you know, it's wow. very. <clears throat> and then through red clay soils through to broken, then here in Pecolvin, where so that's with the the yellow. Whereas the obsessive is from a specific vineyard. So then also it's how we treat it once it's come into the winery. So. The yellow label is a mix of new one, two, three, and four-year-old oak, whereas the obsessive is 100% new French oak uh, barrels. The yellow will go through a bit of the malolactic fermentation that I was talking about before, whereas the obsessive uh, doesn't. The obsessive is what we call a high solids fermentation. Once we've put the fruit, uh, crushed the fruit and put it through the press, you can let the, the juice uh, settle, so it goes into a tank, and you can let it settle. So. The little bits of um, skins and seed and pulp that's in that juice will settle out naturally because it's uh, heavier than the juice, so it settles out to the bottom of the tank. So with the, the yellow label, that's not a super clear uh, fermentation, but it's relatively clear juice fermentation, whereas the juice for the obsessive is quite cloudy, and that gives the wine a bit more texture as well. But the, I guess the biggest influence on the obsessive in comparison to the yellow is the single vineyard and the 100% new oak. Okay, but both are 100% Chardonnay grapes? Yep, okay. 100%. So we don't have a little bit of mix in the yellow one no. just to give a difference? No. Okay. One of the things with oak barrels is that uh, we, we'll get uh, six to eight uh, years out of an oak barrel. Each year, so if, say vintage is uh, January each year, we will, when we talk about a year uh, for a, a barrel, is it's new. Uh, so if we buy, I, I put my order in for uh, our barrels for uh, the 2020 vintage, so that'll be new, classified as a new uh, barrel, 2020. Then we'll have wine in that potentially for 12 months, maybe 15 if it's the obsessive. But when we put the new vintage into that in 2021, that'll then be a one-year-old oak barrel. Then in 
uh, new vintage in uh, 22. That'll be a two-year-old oak barrel. But each year that you go, for, you've had a uh, wine in it for a full year, the barrel has less oak flavour to give up. And yeah. the best analogy for that is uh, with uh, tea bags, that if you make five cups of tea with a single tea bag, the first one will be very strong, and each subsequent cup will be not as strong as the previous one. So, uh, And that's basically how the, the oak uh, works as well, from a intensity of oak flavour through to less uh, character coming through. So, uh, different question here. What's a day like in uh, Jeremy's life? <laughs> so, I'm, I'm married. Um, so, uh, and I have... Uh, Sympathise, mate. I have two, ch- two children, yep. so... So, that, that means the next generation of uh, Scarborough is guaranteed. Yeah, so my, my son's at university. <laughs> and, um, so, he, he's doing geology at the moment, but he is actually starting to sound as if he might want to uh, come back to the, the wine industry. <laughs> oh, uh, whereas my, twi- my, sis- my daughter, even is uh, just starting year 12 now. but So it depends whether it's a rowing morning because my, my daughter's a rower. Uh, so my day could start at uh, 4 o'clock or it might start at a more leisurely 6 o'clock. Then uh, basically, yeah, breakfast, good cup of coffee. Then uh, on my, my phone I have uh, numerous different apps for weather. Um, we've got soil, uh, electronic soil moisture monitoring so I know how moist the soil is or not, uh, so whether or not we need to be irrigating. So I'm looking at all of that over breakfast, so that sort of sets what's going to happen during the day. Talking to my wife, who's also a viticulturist, she has, she's a very, <laughs> she's much more successful than me. Uh, she was uh, last year uh, Australia's, um, for the AWRI, which is our peak uh, research body, she was the Australian viticulturist of the year. Yeah, you met at uni. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you should have cheated off her notes. Yeah, <laughs> she was one year ahead of me, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about what needs to be done in the vineyard, what not, what needs to be done, and then uh, come to work. Yeah, I'd, and generally, I'll I'll come to work via the vineyards and just make sure because you can be reading stuff on your phone, which uh, a bit of electronic equipment's telling you, but. The most important thing is looking at the vines, making sure they're not stressed or, or whatever. Then into the office, um, yeah, and then talking to the winery guys, what needs to be done in the winery. Uh, so, because outside of vintage, I, I have a, I guess, a more admin role as well. And then, yeah, just whatever sort of rolls along from there. And, okay. Yeah. Any any role into sharing your knowledge with other winemakers or maybe interstate or even overseas? Do you travel? I mean, yeah. Look, I guess um, for example, last last week I was down in uh, the Yarra Valley for what it was called the um, Chardonnay Symposium. Um, so there were, was was a hundred odd Australian winemakers uh, wow. in a room. Uh, we had Jancis Robinson, uh, James Halliday two very well-known wine writers and then uh you know the, the cream of australian winemakers there as well so you know tom carson david bignall uh steve steve panel uh and so on so you know some of australia's best and you know highly awarded winemakers and we basically spent a day tasting chardonnay which was great but we were looking at chardonnays across the world uh so not, not just australian chardonnays you know um french um you know in areas across Australia, and you're sitting next to uh, people, you're analysing the wines together, talking about them. You know, it's a 
question and answer uh, session and so on. So that <coughs> that's how you get to glean new knowledge, learn new things, um, and, and then also help. We had, you know, someone says, you know, I had a problem with this last season, what did you guys do? And you go, well, this is what we tried, um, you know, three years ago when we had the same problem or, or whatever. So so that's that's a really good way to do it. Um, yeah, and then we visited two, um, two wineries while we were at the Yarra as well uh, for specific reasons looking at what they were doing in vineyards yeah. what they were doing in the winery and uh and so it, it's a quite a it's a very friendly industry uh, and people don't mind sharing their knowledge uh because what dave bicknell's doing at oak ridge in the yarra valley i can borrow those ideas but i won't be i won't be making the same wine because no, you know the different climate, the different soil types, the different clones, the different... You start yeah. with different ingredients. Yeah, yeah, so so we we can borrow ideas or use the same ideas and do things the same way, but we will end up still end up with different wines. So no, no one feels um, under threat because does, of that. Does that networking carry on to local as well or is it quite competitive here? Because no. when you started, you mentioned that you, know, you family worked for Tullock and then yep. it sounded like everyone was quite intertwined. We rattled off a few wineries, but <laughs> yeah. and then just hearing you talk then, I wonder if that knowledge sharing goes across the road or down the road oh, or it, how tightly held are the secrets? No, it certainly does. It, and again, I mean, the same thing between the Yarra Valley and here is the same as uh, our Semillon vineyard out on uh, Wine Country Drive in comparison to, say, Tyrrell's Semillon vineyard on uh, Hermitage Road. You know, they're... It, they're just, they can never be the same because there's uh, different vine age, uh, different clones and so on. So I, I guess a good example is uh, mum and dad did a trip to Central Australia um, or uh, you know, parts of South Australia last week and as part of that trip, uh, Jay and Julie Tullock were there, Brian and Faye McGuigan yeah. were part of their group and the McPhersons uh, who I was talking about earlier. So, so we have that crossover as well i mean yes there's times where maybe it is a, a bit competitive but although we're in the same pool where you know we're doing things a little bit differently to each other so so no it's and we have each year because you know semillon chardonnay and shiraz are probably what you would consider the three main wines for the, the hunter, hunter. yeah i mean there's obviously a lot of other very good wines for dello etc but so we actually have a get-together uh, once a year where it's uh, bring your wines along, warts and all, of the current vintage uh, so everyone can have a look at them. So, you know, you have <coughs> at... Uh, so uh, Broken Wood traditionally do the uh, Semillon uh, one and Pools Rock traditionally do Shiraz. I'm meant to organise the Chardonnay one for this year, which I haven't done yet. <laughs> We just remind you. No, yeah. <laughs> but and very much what it is, they're, they're not uh, finished wines. So they they are wines that come out of barrel, um, come out of tank. That they, they may be already in bottle. And you put your wine up, and everyone looks at them. And uh, if there's a particular interest in a particular style, then you talk about how you've you've done it. And uh, if Jeremy Scarver goes, oh look, we had a lot of stuck ferments this year, you know whatever's what did you guys do did anyone else see the same problem um you know and and so on so yeah there's a bit going yeah so it 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 is it so it's still uh, and i mean there's two pubs likely as well so you end up everyone seeing everyone yeah, yeah was, but, but was there also in those meetings that's when you're planning your war like against for example the sauvignon blanc from new zealand probably yeah look <laughs> 
that's the hard. I mean, that's the hard one, is it? Uh, I guess one you can't do Sauvignon Blanc in the Hunter. Where that's too, correct. Where but they warm. took the mark. They took the market of your yeah, Chardonnay well, for that, a while. and that's the thing. But it, it it's up. It goes up and down. Uh, you know, all we can do is as an area and as an industry. And, I mean, the money that was behind the New Zealanders for to do that. So their government was throwing money at them as well. And we just, as for whatever reason, in New South Wales, we haven't always had very good uh, government support. It was <laughs> no, that's all right, mate. But, but Some of this is fake news, okay? Yeah, it's all fake news, yeah. <laughs> but the, um, but the, I guess the thing is, is that, yes, we can react to that, but you've got to be careful you're not trying to copy it as, mm. as well because you need to be giving people... Because if they're breaking in with the Sauvignon Blanc, for example, if they really want that market, they'll drop the price and then they'll drop the price again and then they'll drop the price again. And we're uh, um, the hunter because of our location, price of the land, you know, the conditions we have, we are a fairly high cost area and it, it's very hard for us to compete against 30 tonne to the hectare Sauvignon Blanc out of uh, New Zealand, which, uh, you know, there's no oak going into it. So it's, it's been crushed, pressed, fermented pretty much straight in the bottle and it's out to market and, you know, after less than six months. So yeah. it's a, it's no, because you can't drink it after two years, <laughs> mate. <laughs> well, that as well. Some people changed the style of their Chardonnay for that, though, didn't they? Oh, certainly, yeah, there was... Yes, a, they there's did. A, there's a there, new there, age Chardonnay. Yeah, there was, a, there was certainly a run of uh, un-oak Chardonnays and so on. But, I mean, and they, they can be very good wines, but you, you need to be... You certainly need to be thinking about what you're doing um, when, when, you, when you make those moves. But that's where I've uh, been able to introduce other varieties works really well. So, you know, Vidello and, and the like sort of, you know, hit that mark pretty well as well. I was up here on the long weekend and my wife and I have been here quite often. We've drank many full-bodied, buttery yep. Chardonnays here, but the first half a dozen wineries we went to were telling us, oh, we don't do that in the Hunter anymore because it was all the new age stuff. Yep. That's why I asked about the information sharing and the, the competition here because clearly we do still do full-bodied Chardonnays yeah. and people who grew up drinking Chardonnays are still going to want that. Yeah. How, how big's the... How big a you mentioned James Holiday before? But before before you, you yeah. ask that question, can we try that uh, white yeah, label now so we can absolutely you can taste the difference with yeah. a mass who can exactly tell us yeah. what's going on here? No worries. No. So uh, the 2017 obsessive, if you don't mind, I, I want a second glass yeah. if you don't mind. So I guess with the the obsessive, as I sort of said before, uh, different style in comparison to the the yellow. So because it is 100% uh, new French oak barrels and, and we use uh, barriques, which are 228, 228 litres, with, with the, so it is a relatively small vessel, so a large surface area for the amount of wine that's in, in there. So there's a lot of oak contact within, within the barrel. Right. Um, and using it as a, um, a young, young barrels, there's a lot of oak tannins coming out of that. So on... Once you sort of swallow the wine, it's got at the back of the palate, the back of your tongue, it's it's almost got a a dry a drying coming through, which a lot of people would associate that with uh, acid, but it's actually uh, the the barrel tannins uh, doing that. I hate it because I can't taste this thing until he says it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, and yeah, it it, it is um, it, it's a step up on the yellow. We're you know we're talking about a twenty three dollar bottle of wine versus a forty dollar. A bottle of wine so what creates that price is that just the work that goes into it or is that just the, the oak stuff? the work uh and demand uh so we, we're only smoking a small amount of that that wine each year so 
Um, it's it's also making sure that uh, I can send my kids to school. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you, brother. <laughs> uh, I, I love doing the uh, how do you call it? Is it uh, um, parallel? Is it no? Is it parallel when you you drink the same wine year in year uh, from different Verticals. years? Is it vertical? Yeah, is it? So, so and, I mean, yeah, verticals are really good because it's good because what you can see is the influences of the vintage. So assuming the winemaker is making the wine the same, essentially the same way each year, the, um, the only um, real influ- influence is bottle age, but also what the uh, conditions of the season were. So whether or not they were picked a little bit greener, a little bit riper, uh, was it hotter? Was it colder? Was it cloudy? Was it uh, you know full uh, you know blue skies every day? Uh, was there a little bit of rain before um, you know harvest, etc.? So I think that you know that's that's always really interesting to see. So and because you know we as winemakers we can only do so much, and and sometimes there's only so much you want to do to a wine as well. So when you guys say that there's no more of the uh, 2014 obsessive white. Yep. That's a lie, right? You, you still have a few cases just for the family consumption, <laughs> correct? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, got him, got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we, we need to keep uh, what, what we call cage stock because we want to see how the wines are going over Evolved, time. Evolved, absolutely. Need to, yeah. need, yeah, it's a ab- must. Absolutely. You know, Christmas. <laughs> um, so it's... Monday. Because, yeah. <laughs> but because it, I mean, when you're saying a wine's going to live six to eight, ten years of age... We, we do need to be looking back and, and making sure what the uh, forecast we're doing is right. And then, um, you know, then you also want to uh, just see how it continues to uh, develop beyond that point. Um, yeah, and just because a wine ages doesn't mean it's, uh, it makes it a better, a better quality, no. but it certainly is a good indicator. There's a as, peak, as isn't as well. it? Yeah, there's yeah. a and, peak. Yeah, look, and I think one of the things we tend to do in Australia is probably leave our Chardonnays a bit too long. Um, Never been a problem in my house, yeah, mate. That, you know, <laughs> I, most Aussie Chardonnays are at their peak, depending on how they're made, you know, uh, 8 to 12 years of age. And, I mean, there are obviously exceptions to that, that there are some that do drink very well beyond 12, 12 years of age. Yeah, Semillon, probably you want to yeah, keep it longer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. so what was the question you were asking about? Is it Johnny Halliday? <laughs> yeah, Halliday and the, and the ratings, because you... you you drive around here, and some yep. it's the size of the envelope, mate. Some people advertise the fact <laughs> that they got a score. You know, I, I bought a bottle of wine yep. from a local bottle shop. I think for our first wine and wisdom podcast, it was a ninety on the holiday ratings, and yep. it got flogged by your, uh, your obsessive. Shiraz. No, no, yeah, I brought the obsessive. Shiraz, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was obsessive. Shiraz. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was. So, white. how much? How important is that to you? Firstly, to your business, what sort of dollar? You know, what's a what's an eighty five versus a ninety five worth to you in dollar terms? Do you reckon? And how, how to your family philosophy? How yeah. important is it? So I, I guess we say with uh, the Halliday and his uh, rating system, that there's two two things you're looking at. Is one is your uh, winery star rating. So yep. whether or not you're a three, three and a half, four and a half, five star, red and a red star. So that that is. Uh, how many of your wines are scoring above a certain level? Yep. So to be five star, you need X amount, which are ninety three or ninety four plus star, uh, scored wines, and then to become a red star, you need to have had five black stars for the past uh, three or five years. Mm-hmm. I need to 
check that. So that, I guess, from a point of view, when if someone's coming into an area like here, there's 74 places you can go and taste wine. They're going, oh, God, where do we start? Yeah. What James writes about those wines is a good way for you to go, okay, let's go and see. Obviously, with the advent of TripAdvisor and other online reviews, that's probably changed that a little bit because, uh, yeah, obviously... Yeah, and I trust James's palate because he, you know, he is drunk. That's my next question. Do you do you believe it? Yeah, look, yes, I do. Um, I guess the only thing that concerns me about he's just some gone, wine writers, he's just gone up in the red. <laughs> yeah, ninety <laughs> nine. So, <laughs> so the thing that concerns me about some wine writers is that they don't taste the wines blind or double blind. Okay. So they will have they will be reviewing a wine and they know what's in front of them. Yep. And they are then judging the wine, no matter how well they say they're, they're not. They're boss, they have to. They're, they have they're to judging the wine by the label, not by necessarily what's yeah. in the glass. Yeah. So I think that's, I think it, it is important. And I mean, the Australian wine show system is double blind. So you don't, you have, there's no way you know what wine is in front of you. So you're, you're judging the wine purely on its merits uh, and, and then obviously then personal bias t- starts to come in, whether you prefer a fuller-bodied Chardonnay or a yeah. lighter-bodied Chardonnay and so on. But, again, you know, that's where you have um, the chairman and the, the panel judges who sort of tend to uh, direct that. So, I, but I think um, people like Halliday, James, um, you know, they, they are very important to the industry and it's a little bit like the wine show system. It does keep us uh, a little more honest. Yep. Whether you price your wines because they get a 94 or a 98 i think there's less of that influence within australia from our wine writers i mean overseas because you know the australian consumer is a fairly small pond but if you're lucky enough to get a 99 or a 100 out of 100 by some of the uh, well-known overseas wine writers like uh, Robert Parker, that's when people may take advantage of price because you're then being introduced to a much bigger market because there will be people out of America or Europe who will be chasing that wine all of a sudden when you know, maybe it was yeah. just domestically that you were, you were being it, it doesn't affect maybe the way you price your wine, but it does affect the bottom line. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Like being being treated by Holiday in the high 90s, suddenly your bottom line increases, right? Yeah, no, look, I think so. <laughs> but, uh, but people still have to like that. Yeah. It may prompt them to try your wine in the first place, but they have to like the wine to buy it again. Yeah. And uh, I guess for, for us, um, we, we spend a lot of time worrying about what the consumer likes and, and what where our wines are falling and how that fits where the the current sort of long-term trends are because if you try to react to what's happening at the moment and what's trendy, you'll never, you'll never, never have a consistent No, no, reactive style. is never good, no. Anyway, yeah. so where's this one rating with Halliday then? Uh, this white label 2017? I'm not exactly sure. I'm not sure if he's seen this yet, to be honest. Uh, but the, the obsessive generally runs somewhere between 92 and 94. Right. But it, it is actually, it's going up. Well, obviously, when you're in that that um, points um, in that in that zone, you're going up against some very very good Australian Chardonnays as well. So, um, and him being based in the Yarra Valley, yeah, that's um, there's some pretty smart ones. So, how, how does it work? Does he does he get a meeting at the end of uh, each year, and and yeah. the best winery are there to receive their points or not? So, ba- basically, uh, James for his for the wine companion 
there's usually a due, da due date for when you need to send those wines in to make that year's uh, book. So you can either be sending the wines by the set date or as you release wines, um, you can then just send them off to him. So we, we tend to, as each wine is released, uh, we will send out we'll, we'll send out a uh, an email or a letter to the different uh, bloggers and wine writers and reviewers and uh, say would you like to see our wines yes okay we're, we're sending these you know well we're about to send these three out would you like to see them yeah that's sort of generally how it works for us okay. can I just ask another hypothetical yep if you were to say have a podcast that involved people bringing different bottles of wine yep and we were going to taste those wines. And at the end, even though it's not competitive, it's competitive and someone says their wine's better than somebody else's. Yep. Based on what you're saying about the, the judging criteria before, you'd suggest that would be a blind tasting Absolutely. or a double blind tasting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, Just hypothetically, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. want to know. Yeah. He's not competitive at all. He's not competitive for at all. someone who's been told his wine's <laughs> rubbish three weeks in a row, <laughs> I just want to know whether a blind or uh, – hypothetically. Yeah. No, well, I mean, in that situation, you'd call it single blind, so you – so you know uh, what you do is you put all your wines um, uh, to the side. You'd have one person who's, say, not going to be tasting. Yes. And they, um, they either decant, it marks, marks them, so one through to four, so if there's four wines, decant them into another bottle or a, a decanter, or you, uh, as, as we do in the industry, wrap them up in our, our foil and put a number on them. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so randomly put those numbers on it, so then you don't know which one's your wine but you know your wine's in there somewhere. Um, and so that single blind, double blind, is when you don't know what wines are in that yeah. bracket as well. So hypothetically, I think single blind's a good system. Yeah, oh, I have no problem. I'd still flog you. <laughs> you know what happens? Every every week they make, make my bottle goes first. Because you start with white. By yeah. the end of the podcast, we've drunk three bottles of wine yeah. and all of a sudden whoever goes last wins. Shock horror. <laughs> Hypothetically, are you, are you working from cheapest to most expensive? No, that? the rule no. is the rule we have is that White no, no bottle can exceed fifty dollars. Yeah, okay. Anyone yeah. who's a guest on the podcast has to bring their own. Yep. Where we've stuffed up is we haven't talked about whether we're bringing whites or reds. So each uh, time I've brought a chardonnay, yeah, yeah. and, and you start with that first. Yeah. Well, we see. I we have a a, a local men's group um, <laughs> where we we go out once a month, so just just to a local restaurant, and it's one person one of the guys each each month will do the wines and we do them all uh double blind so so <coughs> generally there'll be eight of us six to eight of us so we'll do eight wines and uh, we'll have them through the meal and uh you know and it's basically you know uh they're all uh, wrapped up in our foil and uh, make sure you hide hide, hide the capsules because obviously that can give it away and you go through um, you know, a number of questions asking about the wine, and yeah, you know, so it's and it's kind of like a an honesty system on who who wins it at the end of the night. It, it's actually a honesty. Yeah, there might be a problem as well. Honesty. There, there is actually. He's a sore loser. I have yeah. to tell you, Jeremy. He's a sore loser. Well, Len, I mean, Len Evans actually sort of um, invented a game called options. So have you heard of options? No, I haven't. So the, the idea is, so uh, the way we do it, so if we're doing a wine a wine lunch or wine dinner, is that so we have a wine, which no one knows what it is. Uh, it gets pulled out to all the customers who are in the restaurant. Um, they usually assume it's one of our wines, but uh, that's not necessarily the case. And so everyone 
stands up, they've had a chance to try the wine, and uh, we then ask uh, questions. So say the first question might be, is it red or white? should be an obvious one. And so if you think it's red, you hold up your right hand. If you think it's uh, white, you hold up your left hand. And then, you know, you progress through all those yep. different questions. And if you get the answer wrong, you sit down. If you get the answer right, you stay standing. And, uh, you know, there's a prize at the end usually, you know, a special, special bottle of wine or something like that. And the interesting thing is is that the, it's you, the person who usually wins is the person who uh, knows the least about wine in the in the room or doesn't drink wine but they thought they'd play the game uh, because they have no preconceived ideas about what a wine should look like taste like or whatever but it is actually it's a really good game and you know my father does uh, options once a month at the cellar restaurant and you know they do high-end burgundies and bordeaux yeah etc etc so they and and what theirs is is it's a coin system so you have x many coins at the beginning of the the day and when you get the question wrong, so you may get three questions in, but if you get it wrong, you throw your coin in. Oh, that's a good and one. And then when you, at the end of the day, so everyone brings along a bottle and it's whoever's got the most coins at yeah. the end uh, wins, <laughs> basically. So so where's the cellar restaurant? Uh, so that's around at Hunter Valley Gardens. We both wrote the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it actually has new owners, so... Uh, just in the last couple of months, so Andy. Um, that, that's not yours, right? No. Oh, no. I, oh, I see. I see. Like you, you never thought of having a restaurant around one, uh, one of your. Uh, look, you we have, thought you have it, two, right? You have two. You have yeah, one, two cellars. We we thought about it and talked about it lots, but I guess we get back to the point of view that let's just do what we know, what we do well, which is making wine. Uh, so even within our cellar door. There's no other paraphernalia being sold. We don't have uh, olive oils or duckers or you know, whatever it may be that some cellar doors sell. Stick and, to what you know. Yeah, right? and, and that's, that's been our theory. I, I mean, at, over the last five years, as people have been looking for more of an experience, not just, not just wine where you know, they get to have a security plate and that uh, you know, we're starting to introduce more structured uh, wine tastings. So there, there is a bit of sensory evaluation going and, and so on. So we are starting to do that a little bit more so that, that people are paying for the experience as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we've certainly... I'd love a restaurant, but I'd be even bigger than I am now. <laughs> Hard work too. Yeah. <laughs> Just on that, I mean, it seems like such a simple idea, but the, the cheese that you guys serve with your wines up at the, at the other cellar door, I haven't been to this one yet, but the other yep. one... My wife and I did about 15 wineries that day and to have someone give us a bit of bloody cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, and it's one of the things we've always <laughs> believed in. One, it's it's good for you to be able to, you know, sort of fill out the, the belly a little bit. But but also wine, wine Helps is... Helps the wine too, yeah. Wine's to be consumed with food. Yeah. And a little bit of grease, a little bit of fat um, with the wine uh, can transform it. Uh, so a bit of cheese, a cracker, you know, the, the dried fruits and... And whatever else we we do with it, I, it can actually make a big difference to the wine. And yeah, I've had some fabulous wines out of uh, Italy, and you know, you, you try them, you go, oh, yeah, it's a bit disappointing. I didn't really think that was as good as I thought it was going to be. You know, you try a glass before you have your meal, but then when you have the meal, a bit of pasta, and you know, be whatever mm-hmm. it is, and the wine just transforms, and it's just like, wow, yeah, yeah. This, this is a, a food wine. Yeah. This is what it's all about. We try and bring cheese into our podcast, but I, yeah. I live near a Coles, mate, so my offerings. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
you've yeah. got excuse and everything coming out for yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, it, right. he's trying to yeah, he's trying to fight look for he's looking for forgiveness for the last three <laughs> bad ones hey listen who came out because i have to tell you one thing um how I've discovered Scarborough Wine Company on, on uh, Hermitage Road is by just driving around and stopping one day. But then when I came in here first time for the service, this is when I became a member straight away, or my wife is a member, is not only the, the way that the staff welcomes you, they want you to have an experience, but then this thing here, this flight one, flight two, flight three, where's yeah. that coming from? Uh, I think we all, uh, each member of the family claims who came up with that. Um, <laughs> Here's your I, chance, big guy. Yeah. Take it. Look, I, it, it, it basically came about because, uh, you know, for a long time we were only showing three wines, two wines, three wines, and then four. And then we were showing more than that. And we had to come up with a way that customers, and we were give, putting all the glasses in front of them so they, so they could... Once they'd tried the Chardonnay, they could go back and try the Semillon. So we needed a way to map it out so that they could uh, look back. So it was a fresh glass for every wine. And it, it just evolved from that. So um, That is so cool. It, it, works, it works really well. Um, we like to think we're, we're the first in Australia. We're not, we're not sure, though. But, yeah. I, well, I haven't well seen it anywhere. I haven't seen it anywhere else. I, I thought no, it was a great idea. Numbers, yeah, we were also the first uh, winery in the Valley, at least, to do sit-down tasting. So traditionally, all the tastings were at a bar. So you, you'd walk into the winery and you'd have the bar and behind the bar would be all the wines and people would go, I'll try this one or that one, pointing at the wines behind the bar. But again, uh, and I think that was from my mother's hospitality uh, background is that uh, you know, they wanted to sit people down and have them uh, comfortable and give them time to try the wine so they never felt rushed that they needed to then you know, <coughs> move on to the next wine and, and so on. So that, that sort of, it all sort of evolved out of that. So if people were to come to the Hunter Valley here for a wine experience, what would be the best way to do that with your company? Look, I, I guess nowadays uh, is have a good either give us a call or uh, have a look at our website and see what uh, experiences we are offering. So the, the tastings and the like, because most of what we do now there is a charge, uh, unless you're a, a member or a, a wine club member. So it give, gives you a chance to sort of look at what we do because if you haven't sort of been uh, tasting wine before or done a lot of wine tasting, it can be a little bit in, intimidating because. You got all these people, you know, sort of running around. Even though you've been uh, welcomed well, there's a few decisions you you need to sort of maybe make at the door uh, as as you come in. Whereas if you've had a, a bit of a look on our website um, and and worked out what you would be interested in, potentially what styles you'd be interested in, that's probably the first step. But even uh, just turning up, we're more than happy to serve people. So uh, and. Obviously, both both our cellar doors are you know uh, very picturesque, uh, so you can grab the the brochure to work out what tasting you'd like to do. Wander around the gardens, you know, check out the view, look at the vines, make your decision, and then then wander back and sit down and uh, have hopefully a wonderful tasting. Do you have free labour? Like for I mean, inviting <laughs> inviting people like in maybe uh, early February for the uh, picking and helping you with these things. Like majority of our fruits machine picks. So. <laughs> Um, so yeah, look, I mean, again, uh, because it is the pressure time of year, that's, that's the hard part is that, uh, 
you know, when you have novices around who are not sure where they need to stand or where they need to be, it, it can get quite dangerous in the winery. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, uh, it's, yeah, it's just a lot happening. So, yeah, good. Jeremy, thank you so much for today. I, I know how busy you are. And um, just to allow us here on, on your Hermitage Road um, cellar to try and, uh, these wines. Oh, I mean, which is the winner of the Wine calm, and Wisdom yeah, number one. Calm down. It was a Shiraz. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a Shiraz. It, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I've got it, one more question before you wrap up. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. You go. You, you go. mentioned something earlier about a day in the life of Jeremy and all I've been hanging on since. Have you found a weather app that is accurate? No. <laughs> so I, I look God at... damn it, man. <laughs> I look at uh, four different apps <laughs> and... Depending on the time of year, so they uh, phase in and out of being accurate. So it, it's a matter of going, okay, you know, the one out of um, Norway has been a bit in- inaccurate for the last two weeks. So then, right. you, then I'm, I'm, but because of that, uh, bomb or elders have uh, started to be a little more accurate. Okay. We've so, got no chance, that's what you're telling us. Yeah, look, I mean, the the rain... Just walk outside and look up? Is well, that... that's that's the thing, so <laughs> plan, plan, plan for the worst, yeah. unfortunately. Now, <laughs> now, some side questions. Have you ever sent your wine to the Parliament House? And... Par- Parliament have had our wines before, yep. but it's been uh, ooh, at least 10 years since they've, they've had them in the, in the cellar there. So, oh, no, that's because they ordered? Yes. But what about you sending it to them? And say, listen, if you really were nice to us, you would have had more, you know, something. Yeah. Look, I think um, they certainly have a, a good New South Wales <laughs> representation. Um, what's in their cellar, it tends to be very much a committee-based thing, unfortunately. So, or, you know, people who are, are spending a lot of time helping out the government at the time, so they tend to you know, favour those guys a fair bit. So. Yeah, I understand. Politics. Any more questions, mate? No, that was it. The weather app was my one hope. Okay, well... You're, you're always shit with your absolute <laughs> 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 Thank you so much Thanks, for your brother. time today, oh, Jeremy. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much.